Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. So glad you're here. We are finishing up our series this morning in the book of Ruth, and uh, wow, I know it's been such a good journey. Every week, as I've I almost had to hold myself back from studying too much in advance because it's like, what's going to happen next? I mean, I know we've read this thing. Some of us have read it so many times. But honestly, this book, the book of Ruth, has something for everyone in it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. We're going to go back to it again. There's no way sometime in the future because uh, there's no way we can mine everything out of it. But uh, today we're going to close it up in the fourth chapter. And uh, hey, thanks to... You know, Brian and Doug for doing Father's Day last week. That was uh, a whole lot of fun. Did you guys have a, a good Father's Day? See what I got for Father's Day? See? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Come on. You know, everybody makes comments about your shirt. But then when it's from your kids, don't be making new comments, man. <laughs> we were talking about that early. You know, you could wear a shirt with, like, bunnies, a man could, and, like, Little cute kittens on it. If your kids gave it to you, don't say anything about that shirt. Don't do it, you know, because it came from your kids. And I really appreciate. We have got a. We've got such a wonderful group of people here teaching and helping us in the church and a part of the church. And uh, as we end this and we begin next week, a whole new route into the month of July. It, you're just going to love it, as because it's called an invitation to a vacation. Uh, you know, we get so pushed sometimes, and we feel, and, and, and honestly, gee, you know, I'm kind of an amped up person. Everybody says, you're like Mr. Laidback Surfer Guy, Tim. No, I'm not. I'm like inside. I'm, I want to do the next thing, you know, and all. But I get so focused on going out and doing things all the time that, you know, we forget sometimes that in Matthew 11, Jesus did invite us to come and, and to find rest with him. And in the summertime, it's a good time to be reminded of that. That Jesus says, you know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And if you're struggling and you're just worn out, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I don't want to heap more on you. I want to give you a place of rest. And so next week, we're launching a, a wonderful series, an invitation to a vacation. And the invitation is from Jesus. Why don't you come and rest? And so that will be launching next Sunday and for four weeks uh, we'll be in that, so grab somebody and bring them back. But today we are in Ruth, and Ruth 4, and, and we're going to close it out just like we started it. We've, we will have read the whole chapter. Some of you can say you read a whole book of the Bible now at the end of this series. And so we're going to read the fourth chapter, and uh, I would invite you to read it with me if you'd like, or under your breath, or, or however, but think and read the words. That way they can seek down into you. We find... Ruth and uh, Boaz and Naomi in a situation. We're coming to the end of the road for them, which is actually a beginning in many ways. And uh, they've been through such an ordeal, at least Ruth and Naomi have. And we just wonder what's going to happen to these two, one young widow and another older widow, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, and what's going to happen to them. And we've watched this journey go from very desperate and uh, in the first chapter to now, we're beginning to see something wonderful, wonderful happen in their lives. And, and so we're, we're going to see the good news as it's been progressing through each act of this place. So let's read this, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump into it. The fourth chapter of Ruth. Here we go. Ready? 
Meanwhile, back at the ranch, no, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of... You've got to get that rolling. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Thank you for this journey. Uh, thank you for carrying us through this and revealing so much to us about your heart. And uh, today, as we bring it to a close, would you speak to us what we need to hear from your word that will indeed set us free and will indeed bring life to us and hope to us. So, Holy Spirit, come. You're welcome here today. Come and move among us. Teach us. Lead us. Help me, Holy Spirit, in my weakness. Uh, give me the gift of teaching for the... For the next few minutes, Lord, help me to uh, be able to bring your word and to bring it correctly. I breathe life on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, now, look, if you're just joining us, this is, some of this is like, you know, I don't, Boaz, this, that, the other. So if you missed the other three chapters, you know, you can go back and read it. But this is Israel. We're not sure exactly about the date, maybe 1,100 years or so B.C., something like that, you know, way back. Uh, traditions are different. Things are different. They have uh, some uh, traditions in place that are there to protect the culture to protect the families. One of the things that they have is a kinsman redeemer. and That means that the nearest kin to a person can, let's say that if you got in trouble and you really can't sell land during this period of time. You can, you, some of the wording in this, a couple of places in the NIV, a little bit misleading. Uh, you really don't sell the land, but you can sell the use of it. Because in this period of time, and with Israel, God gave the people, certain parts of the country, gave it to them and said, this is for your family. And so uh, you, if you got in trouble, you could sell the use, of, kind of like sharecropping. Some of us remember that kind of term where you gave it to someone else and they worked the land and they made a piece, uh, you know, some money off of it. But it could never be theirs. It could be bought back, whatever it was sold off for or the use of it. A kinsman redeemer, someone in the family could come back for that person and say, I want to get this land back for them. And so he could pay whatever the fee was that the person had given the original family member to use it. He can give it and get it back. Or they can wait 50 years and get it back at the year of Jubilee for nothing. Because every 50 years, all debt was forgiven. Some of you like that, don't you? You're like, Man, I can just live another 50 years. Let's see. You know, 50 years, all debt was forgiven. Uh, the property was out of your family. It would go back to your family. Uh, if you had indentured yourself as a servant to someone because of poverty, then you were set free. And uh, here's the beauty. I, you know, you guys read the scripture. Is All of this, even the year of Jubilee, this 50-year thing, is a picture of what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. It's like a shadow. It's also a picture of our freedom in Christ that the day is coming and that God's will is that no one have need, that everyone have home, that everyone have enough and to be able to live and to survive and not be a slave to anything or anybody. And so all of these thousands of years ago, God is painting a picture of what the kingdom, when God rules and when he reigns, what it would look like. And so he gave this to Israel to practice so that here all these years later, 3,000 years later, we can look at this and go, wow, you know what? You guys ever read this? I mean, do you read like 3,000 years ago, 66 books, 1,500, 2,000 years, all these authors and all, and it weaves together in such a beautiful way. And it's like a megaphone shouting down through history. Take note, I'm coming to earth, Jesus. All of this shadows, all of this to reconcile the earth to myself. And one day, everything's going to be put to rights. And even the year of Jubilee was a picture of that. And so in the family line, as we know, i got to catch you up quick like, you know, uh, Naomi has gone to Moab, not a good place to go, especially for God's people. But Bethlehem, what is that called? It's like the city of bread, right? It's the house of bread. There was no bread in Bethlehem. There was a famine. And so they went to Moab, this wicked place, to try to find food. Well, while they're there... The boys, Naomi uh, and Elimelech's sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women. And then the boys die. For 10 years, you know, before they had tried to have kids, there's no kids. 
And so Elimelech dies, the boys die. This leaves two young widows, Moabite women married to Israelites. And then there is Naomi, the Israelite woman, an older widow by herself, 30 miles from home. And so she says, I'm going to make my way back to Bethlehem. She heard that things were better there. So she heads back to Bethlehem. And one of her mother-in-laws, one of her daughter-in-laws goes with her back. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, whom the book is named after, is so committed to her. Come thick through thin. Whether her mother-in-law appreciates it or not in those first couple of chapters, Ruth sticks with Naomi. Isn't that a great friend? Somebody, even when you don't even acknowledge their existence around you, I mean, when nobody even ever says thank you or even says, I so appreciate your faithfulness, they're there, steady. And that's the way Ruth was with Naomi. But about two, three chapters in, things start changing. Naomi comes out of her funk and out of her depression, and she begins to see that maybe God is up to something. And so that's where we found Boaz comes along, the hero on the horse. The guy, you know, the single guy who is a wealthy landowner and he sees the Moabite woman gleaning in the fields, just barely getting by, trying to get some seed and trying to take care of her mother-in-law and herself. And he says, who is that woman? His workers say, well, the whole town knows who that is because everybody knows that Naomi has come back. Bethlehem's a small town. Everybody knows everybody, remembers everybody. And he goes, oh, okay. And then through this romantic kind of a interlude where Ruth puts herself in a position to be noticed by Boaz in a very beautiful way, nothing sordid, in a very beautiful way. Now we know that Boaz is a man on a mission. He wants to marry Ruth. But there is this whole issue of family involved. Now he is kin to Elimelech, not to Ruth, but he's kin to Elimelech. So he is in the line where he could, you know, Get the land and taking care of Naomi and all of this. But there's someone closer than he as far as being a kinsman redeemer. And that's where we join the story in four. Now, you have a fill-in on the back of your handout if you want to flip over. And there's three things I want us to take away from this this morning. And you first notice in, in uh, Ruth 4, 1 through 8, is that do you ever see the name of this other kinsman redeemer? That's on purpose. Matter of fact, where the NIV says, come over here, my friend. It's really not said that way. It's kind of said like this. Come over here, you so-and-so. <laughs> come over here, you so-and-so. You know why he doesn't have a name? Because he doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't step up to the plate. And that's your first one is, if you want to make a name for yourself, which is what I'm calling this last chapter, how to make a name for yourself, Take responsibility. Take responsibility. We know Boaz. We've seen his character. We've seen how he's handled himself through this whole story. Now it comes down to this moment. And Boaz goes, there's one that's closer than me. And if, in the previous chapter we read where Boaz said, if he will redeem you, if he will redeem the land, if he will redeem you, then it'll be good. He'll take care of you. And what he cared about was her. He wanted to see that she was taken care of. Whether he got her as wife or not, he wanted to see. And he wanted to do the right thing. The right thing was for somebody to take responsibility. And so right up from the very beginning in this chapter, we see, when we have our glasses on, um, <laughs> it happens... 
we see it says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town. Remember he left uh, two weeks ago? He left and he hurried there to get this thing straight and sat down just as. Here's one of those moments again, right? Just as moments. It, it, we think it's just a happenstance thing. Oh, look. The guy just happened to be going by while Boaz just happened to be at the city gates where all the business to the city is done, right? He just happened to be there. No, he didn't just happen to be there. This is a man on a mission. This is a person who is taking responsibility and going, I'm going to deal with this today. Ruth, your future is going to be, you know, we're going to get you an answer today. Either this guy will take care of you and Naomi or I'm going to. But you, by the time the day's over, you're going to know what your future looks like. So he goes straight to the city gates, exactly right uh, where all the business, and he sits down, and just as the guardian redeemer, the other guy comes by, he remains nameless for a reason, and um, Boaz says, come over here. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz takes 10. Does that number mean anything to you? How many years were, were the women barren in Moab? 10 years, right? So here we go. 10 elders are about to make a decision where the barrenness of this family is over. For 10 years, there were no children. There, were, there was no hope for Naomi and for Ruth. And so now, here we go. Things are changing. Notice these things when you read Scripture. Look at numbers that repeat themselves. Look at things, recurring words that show up over and over again because the author is trying to get us to see something. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. Notice how he's taking charge and responsibility. Okay, you sit here. He's telling the leaders this. You sit here. So-and-so, come here. Um, you know, you sit here. Uh, Naomi, and then he explains that Naomi, who has come back. Well, now, this was no surprise. To, where has Mr. So-and-so been, by the way? You know, who, everybody wants to know, where has he been? The whole town was talking about Naomi and Ruth when they showed up. And here's this guy who's the closest kinsman redeemer, and he should know where to be found. You ever seen people like that? They're nowhere to be found until there's something in it for them. You know, nowhere to be found. And so this guy just happens to be coming by at the right time, at the right place, because Boaz is a person of responsibility. He steps into the situation and decides he's going he's to make a difference. He's going to settle this thing one way or the other. Now we get a piece of information we've never had before. Elimelech had some land. We didn't know that. This is the first time we read this in the story. Probably he sold the, the rights or the using of it off to finance his trip maybe to Moab for him to be able to get there. We don't know all of this. We can surmise that. But now we know there's a piece of land that he had and that it had been uh, sold off in usury to someone else. And, and so now... Boaz is telling the closest kinsman, he's like, there's a piece of land you could buy back. And so the guy, so-and-so, whoever, you know, says, I'll buy it. <laughs> Just like that, you know. And uh, Boaz, a man of responsibility, says, I want to bring it to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here. In other words, as witnesses. For no one has the right. He's doing, what the, he's doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. That's responsibility. That's a person of responsibility. Steps into it and does what is right at the right time for the right reasons. And this is what he does. For no one has the right. I'm not going to take a shortcut. 
Mr. So-and-so, though nobody knows your name. Not going to take the shortcut. Nobody has the right to buy this but you. So here's your chance. And I love so-and-so because he says, I'll take it. Because <laughs> all he hears is the land. You know, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so here's the responsibility. Boaz, the responsibility portion of this. Boaz is the guide through every bit of this. But Mr. So-and-so, he wants the reward without any responsibility. Because once he hears that Ruth goes with the package, he like backs immediately out. He had to know that. He had to know that because the whole town knew Ruth and Naomi. He's thinking, maybe it'll slip through. You ever done that? Maybe they won't bring that up. If I can just get through this meeting and they don't bring that up, it'll be okay. They just don't bring this up. But Boaz, a man of responsibility, a man of integrity, says, the day you take the land, it's the day you take Ruth. You know, it's a package deal. Now, that's kind of true and kind of not true, but we'll get to that in just a minute. You know, Bob Goff has this saying, he says, how is your life working for others? <laughs> you ever ask yourself that? You know, like, my life's working pretty good for me, or it's not working pretty good for me, but have you ever asked yourself, how is it working for other people around you? How is your life affecting those as you go through life? And uh, this guy, Mr. So-and-so, has no inclination. He doesn't think about that. And as I said, the author intentionally leaves his name out so that we'll know that if you don't want to make a name for yourself, don't take responsibility for anything. Just walk away from it. And you will become nondescript. That's right. You won't be known for squat. But if you want a name, step into the responsibility God has given you. Step into the moment. Whether it goes your way or not. What did the guy said? I'll take I'll take her. I'll take care of her. I'll take care of Naomi. I'll take care of the land. Then Boaz would have been brokenhearted, but he would have been great. She's going to be taken care of. And then he'll keep an eye on everything. <laughs> That's what I think. You know, Are you taking care of her? And, uh, and so responsibility. Making a name for yourself and I don't, you know, is a part of taking responsibility in life. And that's why we know Boaz as a man of God because he was a man of responsibility. Then he does this strange thing. They take a sandal off. You know, all the research I did, I can't find what that means or anything. But, uh, you know, this is a pretty ratty-looking sandal right here, isn't it? Uh, I was just thinking, you wonder what their sandals look like. You know, I mean, they're walking all the time on the dust. and I I saved my rainbow sandals. You know, I've I've got all but the very first pair, and I left the first pair in St. Augustine one time. And I've got them all all the way back to, the, like, the late 70s, early 80s. And I'd, I'd stick them to my wall in my garage, you know. And, uh, and so I just think the guy taking his sandal off and going, ah, you know, I'm done with this here, you know. Yeah. I hope it looks better than that. But uh, let's see. I had to pull it off the wall this morning. But <laughs> here's what I want you to think about. When it, who is handing you a sandal this morning? And what is God handing you to say this is your responsibility? Here it is. This is yours. Because the minute it leaves his hand, this was the legal tender of the day. The minute he took that sandal, Boaz was responsible. Bang. So if you don't leave with anything else but a ratty-looking rainbow sandal this morning, you know, when you go, think about that. As you face your responsibilities every day and as you follow God into 
your family, into your business, into your friendships, into your school. Uh, think of what is God placing in your hand today, and will you take it? Will you take it? Because once you take it, you're off to the races. So, how to make a name for yourself? Take responsibility. Secondly, look at Ruth uh, in Ruth 9 through 10. This just stood out like a, a beautiful sore thumb to me. Is he's, Whenever the guy says, I can't take it, I'm not going to, it's going you know, to mess my life up to, to take Ruth on. Um, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses. You know, there's no hidden agenda here. This is all out in the public. Boaz wants everybody to know he's taken this. This is, this is my gig. This is my responsibility. I have bought, look, look at the names. I have bought from Naomi all the property, not really bought, but he's, he's redeemed it back. Uh, all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired, and that's really not the right term either, but it's responsible for Ruth the Moabite. Isn't she still tagged with the Moabite thing? Every time you read Ruth, it's Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. But you know what? That's redemption. That is a picture of redemption. The Moabite woman now is in Israel, is in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and is becoming a part of a family that is going to be famous. She was a Moabite woman. She was a widow. She didn't have anything. She had no hope. She had no future. And all of a sudden, Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. When we take communion every second Sunday, what I do every time before I break the bread, every time I look at the, I think of Tim, the sinner, Tim, the guy, where I came from, who I am, where I've been, what I've seen, and where I could be. Tim the Moabite. And I think about what Jesus has done. And over and over again, God is telling us the Moabites can be redeemed just like the Israelites were redeemed. Ruth the Moabite is now going to be Boaz, the handsome hunk of Israel's wife. And uh, Ruth the Moabite. But here's the thing. Malon's widow, he calls her Malon's widow. As my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, he's taking responsibility for the family lineage. He's saying, okay, I'm going to see that the family continues on, that it doesn't die out with Naomi and with Ruth. Right? But look at the names. Because what we do in life is not just business, it's not just decisions, it's not just conversations. There are real people with names and issues and future tied to all of it. And your second feeling is this. You know, if you want to make a name for yourself, consider others. Consider others because Boaz, this was all about considering others. And not just his love, not just his love for Ruth, but his concern for the family, that he wanted to see that the family heritage, the lineage was taken care of, and uh, that Naomi was taken care of, that the property belonged in their family was taken care of and stewarded well. And, uh, you know, a person who is going to have a good name in the community, among their friends and all, is going to consider others and not just himself, like so-and-so. We don't know so-and-so. Why? Because he only cared about himself. And... There were three options, really, in this situation with uh, Naomi and Ruth. You know, they, what first option was, yeah, he takes it on. So-and-so would take it on. He would marry Ruth. He would take the property, just like we're going to see Boaz do it. The second option would be, no, I will redeem the land, but I'm not taking the women. I'm not taking that on. 
that would have been very unethical. And he would have even been less a so-and-so. <laughs> Matter of fact, he might have got a few names if he'd done that. Because uh, that, that was just, would have made a horrible reputation of him. He could have done that. But he knew there would Boaz, smart guy, 10 elders, right at the city gates, right where everybody can see it. You're going to make your decision, buddy? You're going to live with it. You're going to live with it with the whole town. And this is a small town. They're going to see it. You're going to see it. Or third, he could walk off, which is what he did. He walked off. Three decisions. Boaz took the first one because he cared not just about what he wanted, but he cared about the family. And he cared about the people involved. And I think he cared about his city. That's the reason he had the elders there. It was like, we're all going to surround this. We're going to get in with this. Because the whole town rejoiced when Naomi showed up, didn't they? The ladies in the town said, oh, look, it's Naomi. She's back. Over 10 years she's been gone. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara Bitter, right? She went through her healing and all of that. And she's out. And now the city's still watching. The town is still watching. Considering others, uh, Jesus, I mean, gosh, you know, really didn't think about himself very much, did he? I mean, the pain that he went through. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, uh, this wonderful, you never plumbed the depth of this passage. Uh, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him what? The name. Gave him the name. Why? Because he humbled himself. Because he didn't do it for himself. He did it for his father. He laid himself down. Gave him the name that is above what? Every name. Above so-and-so's name. We don't know him. That at the what? Name. Three times. Name, name, name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All of this is pointing straight toward the Savior too. And that is that Boaz considered others and not just himself. That is a kinsman redeemer. That is someone who loves you, cares for you, and does all they can to recapture, reclaim, and to save you and pull you back into the family you were always meant to be a part of. That was what Boaz was doing. And it was just a shadow, as beautiful as it is, of what Jesus Christ would come and do about 1,000, 1,200, 1,400 years later. What a beautiful picture. And you want to make a name for yourself? Then try building up someone else's name. Try standing in the gap for them. Okay, your last one as we hit the uh, end of this road. Your last one, look at, uh, look at the happy ending. Isn't this such a happy ending? Um, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord, here we go. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Rachel went through a long time of barrenness, not having children, uh, there was a history there, and so they're speaking this blessing. They're saying, may you have children. May, you know, may this barrenness leave this family. Uh, may you be blessed that way. Who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. 
Anybody ever heard of Bethlehem? Anybody? Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar born to Judah. You can read that story. I think it's in Genesis somewhere. Uh, 13, 11, 12, something like that. Uh, you can find it there. But what happened is that it's a very sordid tale. Very sordid tale. And it actually looks like it's going to go very badly because people have made such bad choices. But in the end, Tamar's son Perez ends up being one of the names of which Israel always looks back to as far as if you are kin to someone. And so they're saying, no matter your beginning, Boaz, with this family that you're taking on right now, no matter where their past has been, may it be like Perez, where in the future people will look back and look at you and go, I'm a part of that family. I'm a part of that. And gosh, what happens? King David, right? But hey, that's not the end of the story. In your Bible, or if you can write on your tablet or whatever you have, see, you should write Matthew 1, 4 through 16. And at, the, at 20, verse 22, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, because this lineage does not stop there. You go over to Matthew and Luke and both of the Gospels at the very beginning of those Gospels, and what will you see? Jesus! David, right on down, generation, generation, do you think for a minute that Ruth thought she would be listed thousand, two thousand years later in the lineage of the Savior? Ruth the Moabite. You see, your last feeling is this know your limitations. A man's got to know his limitations. There are things you're responsible for and you can do, and there are things only God can do. There is no way Ruth ever even imagined what God was doing through her. When we assume to be God and we take control of our lives to the extent of not allowing his sovereignty to work, we can certainly mess things up. I had a guy ask me this one time. I was travailing young in my pastoring days, and I was like trying to help this person, trying on the phone for hours, and, you know, cajoling and talking and begging them not to make this decision and that decision. And I was sharing with another pastor, and, and he said this to me, Who do you think you are, Jesus? You're right. I'm not Jesus. You know, I can't move on someone's heart. I'm not meant to. It's the sovereign grace and move of God that changes people and brings everything into line so that a person's background does not have to be their future. I'm not the rescuer. I'm not the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is. Just this past week, I share with a group of pastors, a very small group, where we get together every week and we pray together and we talk to one another and we confess to one another. And I was sharing something I was struggling with, the issue, and, and this other pastor draws a circle. And he goes, here's Tim. This is what you're responsible for. And then he drew another circle around the outside of it. And he says, here's what you're talking about outside that circle. <laughs> I said, he says, I know, because your heart is still out there. Your heart is outside the circle. It's where that dot is, right outside that circle. But he says, that's not your area of responsibility. There's a sovereign issue involved here that you cannot try to control. And this, it's not that you don't care. You still love and you pray. But you release it to God's sovereignty. And to go, only God can make a barren woman pregnant and bring forth a son named Obed will bring forth 
Jesse, who will bring forth David, who will, a few generations later, bring forth Jesus Christ. Those are things out of our hand. And if you want to make a name for yourself, don't make, your, don't make the name of God for yourself. You know, step back from it and realize your limitations. Operate in the responsibility that God has given you, like we see with Boaz. Own that. Care for others. Know that behind every decision and everything you do, there are people, people with lives and people with issues and all. But know your limitations. Know there are things you control and things you're responsible for and there are things you aren't. And that's good news, my friends. That's not bad news. It's good news because think of Obed. Think of Jesse. Think of David. Think of Jesus. This is the sovereignty of God at work. And you may not see it in your lifetime, but I'm telling you something. If you trust God, there is no telling what God will do through an obedient man or woman, a faithful man or woman, a man or a woman who loves others and cares for others, and one who takes responsibility, but trusts God for the return. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, for this wonderful, wonderful story. I know in this room today there are Gosh, God, there's so many Ruths and Naomi's. And, but I also know there are Boaz's in this room. There are Ruths in this room. There are people that, Lord, have a heart to love others and a, a heart to serve you. And so, God, right first off, Lord, we want to surrender that part of ourselves that is trying to control every aspect of everything. And we do that. I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this. Aren't there areas of your life that frustrate you? And you just want to, most of the time, those are people, right? <laughs> you know, if, if I could just get them to do this, you know, that kind of thing. But God has made them a, a free person to make decisions. And when they make the decisions that they should, things will change. They make them because of you. Make them because of your pressure. That doesn't change them. But Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.